indie movie Sorry to Bother You is a summer hit. Lakeith Stanfield stars as Cassius Green, a telemarketer whose world spirals into chaos. Directed by rapper Boots Riley, it's a relatively small budget movie that takes on some really big ideas. It also has a star-studded cast with appearances by Tessa Thompson, Terry Crews, and Army Hammer. I'm Glenn Wellman. And I'm Stephen Thompson. In this episode of Pop Culture Happy Hour, we're delving into the magical realism of Sorry to Bother You, so come right back. Did cutting taxes actually grow the economy? And what makes DJ Khaled the king of pop music? The Indicator, a daily podcast where we tackle the big economic questions. Welcome back. You just met NPR's Glenn Weldon. Also joining us in the studio is Gene Demby from NPR's Code Switch. Hello, Gene. How's it going, yo? It is good to have you here, buddy. Also here from Code Switch is NPR's Shireen Marisol Miraji. Welcome back to the show, Shireen. Thank you for having me back, representing for the double X. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Always good to have you with us. So I want to touch on the actual plot of Sorry to Bother You before we delve into what oh, we, good luck. What oh, we think of the movie. It's, okay. I'm, I'm going to be really vague because also, you know, you don't want to spoil anything. We want to leave some of it to the imagination. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But basically, Lakeith Stanfield is a down-on-his-luck telemarketer who gets embroiled in a world that ends up encompassing labor relations, code switching, selling out, and um, other repercussions. Uh-huh. <laughs> he says with an understatement. So I'm going to start with Glenn. Give me your, uh, your thumbnail of your thoughts on Sorry to Bother You. I was uniquely prepared to see this film because the venue that I saw it at was hosting at the same time the red carpet premiere for Dinesh D'Souza's documentary, <laughs> The Death of wow. a Nation. And whatever you think of the man, whatever you think of that film... I cannot imagine two movies that pose a more radically different idea of what America is (laughs) Mm -hmm. and what's wrong with it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So just two clashing weather fronts. It should have been raining in the doorway (laughs) as I walked into the theater. I think this is a first film, very obviously a first film, from a filmmaker that I want to see a hell of a lot more from. It is elliptical. It's polemical. It's shaggy. It's crammed with ideas. Mm. Does it nail the dismount? Nope. Is it, <laughs> is it interested in nailing the dismount? Nope. I think some of the most interesting things about it are the parts that stick out that are rough. And I think if a studio got its hands on it and gave notes, uh, first of all, I think Riley would probably reject those notes. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything <laughs> this film suggests, he would reject those notes. If there's one hand. thing Boots Riley loves, it's <laughs> yeah. the system. You can't have this film conform to uh, a typical Hollywood narrative and have it, and have it be this film. So right. I want to see more. All right. How about you, Shereen? Uh, as a storyteller, as a journalist, I found it really inspiring. It, it, it was do you be you. You know, this is not the time to conform to expectations. This is the time to be creative, have a voice. So for me on a personal level, I was just like, thank you. This was challenging. This was an inspiring film. It, it makes me shaky thinking about it. I really enjoyed the film and I think it did land the dismount. Interesting. All right. It's mm. tricky because we can't talk too specifically mm-hmm. about that dismount. <laughs> <laughs> I really want to talk about that dismount, though. So it, the movie feels of the moment, right? It feels like uh, it's much easier to find denunciations of capitalism or at least like skepticisms of the privations of capitalism like these days in the media and culture, right? More than like five or ten years ago um, in a way that's bracing, right? Um, it's also a damn mess. I thought it was really, <laughs> really frustrating. You said there were a ton of ideas in it. I love a movie full of ideas. This movie was all over the place. I can't. We can't even get into like the third act without spoiling anything. But I think I was like, even like then I was like, I don't know if I dig this movie. But up until the the last maybe 20, 25 minutes, I was like, okay, I'm still sort of with it. And then a thing happens like, all right, all right, I'm out. I'm out (laughs) out the game. Uh, 
the magical realism of it sort of allows all these ideas to exist, right? Because everything is really, really exaggerated and not really, not very literal. But the last third of it is going to be, I imagine, really challenging. And I think like whether or not you bang with this movie is going to depend on whether you can metabolize all the ideas in it or whether you can metabolize how, to use Glenn's word, the shagginess of it all. You say it's a mess. I say it's a challenge. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we get used to rules and we get comfortable and we tune out and we start looking at our watch at exactly 90 minutes into the film, which is exactly where you probably we're like, oh, I don't know what's going on. I, I like guarantee you, me a it was ninety though. minutes in. Uh, I'm just saying, you know, you've been conditioned wow. to watch a film in a certain way with with these very particular beginning, middles, and ends. And you know, even our conditioning has been conditioned. But anyway, as a, an audience, <laughs> you just we, call my mama a bitch on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, we no, get I mean, used to these things. We tune out. We don't engage. And what Boots Riley is doing, he's forcing you to engage with the content. And I think he does it well by throwing things at you, keeping you on your toes. Throwing everything at you. He throws a lot at you. Throwing everything in the kitchen sink. My take on this movie is that it is to movies what the coup's music is to music. (laughs) Okay. Um, So Boots Riley, the lead rapper in in The Coup, uh, a group that's been around since the early 90s, Mm -hmm. he is a man of ideas. And he throws a lot at you. And it can be very visceral, it can be very powerful, and it can be very frustrating. I think he has a firmer grasp on his critiques of capitalism than he does on his critiques of culture. Mm -hmm. Um, I think think that his take on television, for example, in this movie is just very just kind of juvenile Hmm. but there is such an abundance of ideas and passion in this movie i mean glenn you said this is a this is a first film through and through this movie has been in the works for a long time Mm -hmm. uh the coup's most recent album is called sorry to bother you from 2012 and it was inspired by the screenplay that he had written for this movie so this thing has been swirling around for a really long time and it carries with it that shagginess mm-hmm. but also that passion. I found the more I kind of took this movie home in my head and started pulling at the threads of it, I found more and more things that I found kind of frustrating or that didn't hang together. Particularly, I did not uh, did not really truck with the ending, mm. <laughs> unlike, unlike Shireen. But I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it while I was watching it. Shireen, you talked to Boots Riley about this, and he said that he sees this thing as a, a song lyric. With he, He's installed pauses and, and things that refer back to each other. For me, this felt like a series of sketches. Uh, the mm. idea of white voice, Keith Stanfield's character uh, adopts quote unquote white voice to talk on the phone. That is a very funny idea. That is a very funny sketch. And what I liked about this film is that it did that and then it pivoted away. You think it's about one thing, then the film pivots. You think this film is going to be about race in America and it quickly becomes about class in America. They are very, very closely related, of course, but this is an anti-capitalist screed in a way that I didn't expect going in. I probably should have. But uh, I, I do think it is disjointed in a way that reminds me of a film that I love. Uh, not Get Out. This is being compared to Get Out uh, yeah. entirely too often. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for race uh, problematic uh, reasons. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. Uh, the film that it reminded me of most is a film that I love called uh, Repo Man, Alex Cox's ah, yeah. first film. Similarly, all over the map, but distinctive. Also a coup song, by the way. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Well, I mean, what Repo Man and this film have in common is that they're both stylish on a budget. Mm -hmm. And that is something that I really did admire about this film is it has real visual style to it. Mm -hmm. And when you think of first films and you think of somebody who is not particularly known as as a visual storyteller, maybe in videos... Mm -hmm. 
I was really surprised at how distinctive this movie looked for somebody who was making his first movie. Hey, I don't think if you didn't know that it was a first movie or that it was like an indie movie, that it was a cheap movie, right? I right. mean, just from the cast alone, right? It's like, oh, he clearly called in a lot of favors, right? Army Hammer, like you said, Tessa Thompson. A few are big name actors, right? And they pop up. I mean, Danny Glover pops up for like like five <laughs> seconds. Um, and especially in the first third, I think, like when there's all these things happening with the scenery, like he sort of talks about something and then the background will change behind him as he's sort of describing a scene or whatever. Yeah. That stuff looked like spendy on screen. And the acting was really good. You know, going back to the comment you made, Glenn, about this being a song lyric for him, actually, what he was talking about was all right, so he knows it's all over the place. It's magical realism. It's everywhere. But there's a four on the floor beat for him because he thinks about everything in musical terms. There's this boom, 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 while everything is going nuts. And that four on the floor is the very, you know, realistic, down-to-earth acting that you get from Lakeith Stanfield specifically in this movie. I think he really grounds the film because he's so... You feel him, you feel for him, and you feel all his emotions in the film. Well, I think that when you talk about the rhythms of this film, it is also propelled by its music. Mm -hmm. You hear music by the coup throughout the film, but you also hear this score by Tune Yards, which is a very polyrhythmic band. And, and there's just a lot of kind of stormy music throughout that also gives it a feel of propulsiveness that I think really benefits mm-hmm. it. And in terms of the performances, I really liked Call Me By Your Name, but Army Hammer should play this guy. For <laughs> Army Hammer, when you look like Army Hammer, you should play jerks. You should yeah, play absolutely. entitled fatuous jerks Mm -hmm. like he's playing here. Tessa Thompson, she's great. She's always great. She's been around for a while. If I'm her manager, I say we write into the contract, I'm not playing the girlfriend anymore. I don't need to play the girlfriend anymore. Make movies about me. Mm -hmm. This film could have been about her. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I think it wastes her a little bit. Oh my God, there's a scene... I guess I don't want to spoil, but there's a scene in which she sort of explains a modern art piece that she's allowed to perform, which is... her explanation of it is funny enough, right? But once they actually act it out and actually like stage it, it comes across as really disturbing. It's like, oh, this scene is dragging on a little bit longer than it is comfortable, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it makes you question like why she's in the movie to begin with, right? She's she does the thing that the girlfriend, as Glenn said, always does, which is like she's there to ground the protagonist, in this case Lakeith Stanfield, but you know, she's not really doing anything else in this movie. I talked to her about this, by the way. I, I was just like, What do you think about that and how do you feel about that? The way that she I don't know if the word is protected Boots Riley for making the choice that he did with her character was by saying, my character is the most like Boots. Mm. Boots made me in his image, the artist and activist, the radical artist. Hmm. Yeah. I just wanted, I guess I just wanted more of her. I I mean, I just like Tessa Thompson. I'd like to see more of her. And I, I felt like... They didn't necessarily flesh out her status as the conscience of the movie the way I think she was intended to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One person that we didn't talk about who was very charming to me, and I saw this movie twice, and I was charmed by him the second time, was Jermaine Fowler. He plays Lakeith Stanfield's uh, best friend in the movie, yeah. Salvador. Mm-hmm. And I thought he was just funny, and his comedy was timed perfectly. He is a comedian in real life, and he's just somebody that I'm going to be looking out for in the future because this was his first feature film and I hope he's going to be in others. I appreciated he he gave a little bit of a jolt to the to the scenes he was in and he there did. are points in this movie that fall a little flat and I think having him come in and give a little bit of a pop to his scenes definitely helped. We haven't talked about Stephen Young. I I wasn't that impressed with him actually. And I love him. <laughs> I know you do. I know he's he's your boo in your head. Um 
in a lot of ways, he's sort of like the like animating force for. He sort of voices a lot of the anti-capitalist critiques, like right. um, directly. Um, but they don't do much with him. Like, and there's also this implication that he and kind of uh, a romantic rival, and Tessa Thompson, and he and Lakeith Stanfield are supposed to be like fighting for our affections, but. That doesn't really go anywhere. Yeah, I don't. I mean, yeah, that was weird. I would have cut that out actually. Yeah, absolutely. If I could re-edit this film, that's one part I would get rid of. I feel like it a whole bunch of commentaries about this movie are gonna be like, if I could re-edit yeah, this I was film, gonna, I was yeah, just gonna yeah. say the same thing. I feel like a lot of people would re-edit this film in a lot of that's different ways. That's the only one thing I would do because <laughs> I feel like a lot of the choices he made were deliberate, and he really wanted to throw us off, and he really wanted to challenge our expectations as a viewer, and I think that he did that, and he made us uncomfortable, and he made us feel like, oh, this is weird, and maybe. Some people will call it a mess, Gene Demby. Like I said, <laughs> I think it was a challenge, and I think he did that on purpose. Yeah, I don't think anybody's going to come out of this movie with, like, no opinion, right? Like, I, think, <laughs> yeah. I, think, I don't think it's a movie, like, set up for you to be like, oh, well, whatever. Which is it was wonderful. Like, yeah. I came out of the theater, and I tweeted, like, what the hell was that? Like, yeah. you know what I mean? yeah. It's engineered to keep you off balance, and mm-hmm. if you if you know that going in, I think you'll, you'll probably come out of it better. Nice. Well, that brings us to the end of our show. We want to know what you think of Sorry to Bother You, guessing that there are some opinions out there. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PCHH or tweet us at PCHH. You can also find all of us on Twitter. You can find me at I Dislike Steven. You can follow Glenn at GH Weldon. You can follow Gene at G-E-E-D-E-E-2-1-5. You can find Shireen at Radio Mirage. And you can follow our producer, Jessica Reedy, at Jessica underscore Reedy, our producer, Vincent Acavino at V Acavino, and our producer emeritus and music director Mike Katzif at Mike Katzif. Mike's band Hello Come In provides the music you are bobbing your head to right now. Oh. Thanks to all of you. <laughs> Did you just hype man that? <laughs> Get him, Katzif. <laughs> all right, let's Sorry. back up slightly. Sorry. Thanks to all of you for being here. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for listening. And if you have a second and you're so inclined, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps more folks to find the show. And if you don't already, you should subscribe to the Code Switch podcast, which features Gene and Shireen and is amazing. We will see you all right back here on Friday. I'm Ann Powers from NPR Music. Last summer, we launched Turning the Tables, a project that radically changed how we talk about the history of popular music, with a list of the 150 greatest albums by women. This week, we're launching season two, looking at the 200 greatest songs by 21st century women. Check out who made the list and who didn't at n.pr slash turning the tables.